0: Don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. What is up, crew? Welcome back to the Crypto Economy Podcast. This is Guy Swan coming at you from my Bitcoin blanky fort. I am the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else, you know. And we have got a really good short one that just dropped. Actually, uh, Nick Batia sent me this article uh, last night, I believe. And I read it really quick. And uh, uh, well, I want to go ahead and start off. Say, I'm sorry about missing an episode yesterday. I had a of my non-Bitcoin life. I had a lot of things to get completed, and I just never finished the recording, um, but I'm going to try to finish that one up today because I'm going to be out of town for the weekend and Monday, and I want to have an episode for you guys on Monday, so hopefully I can get that done today, but again, today we are reading a short one by Nick Batia. that was just really great and hits hard a, a key principle to why Bitcoin exists. And uh, if you don't know who Nick Bhatia is, he kind of pioneered, well, he did. He pioneered the concept of the LNRR, the Lightning Network Reference Rate. We've read a couple of pieces by him in the past. He's got like a, I think it's a three-part series. I will link to those uh, articles because they're a little bit spread out in the uh, uh, the actual show. But I will find those episodes and link to those as well so you can uh, listen to and or read uh, some of the great stuff he has done in the past. But for now, let's go ahead and uh, read through this new article that he just dropped so we can talk about it. And the title of our piece today, again by Nick Batia, is Bitcoin is a Human Right. Amen, brother. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in. I have some upsetting news to all the naysayers, doubters, and obituary writers. Bitcoin has recovered from yet another supposedly catastrophic price collapse. Bitcoin is now 10 years old and graduated long ago from shady internet drug money to full-blown asset class and savings vehicle. The trouble with Bitcoin is that it's complicated to grasp. It took me months to half understand and is so multifaceted only a rare individual can claim to fully understand Bitcoin. I tried to boil down three years of learning into a handful of analogies for the curious Bitcoin beginner. This article is written for pre coiners a word used to describe people who don't own or use Bitcoin yet. I attempt to answer the fleeting question millions of pre-coiners around the world keep asking. What exactly is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is money. Bitcoin is a land grab. Bitcoin is a game. Bitcoin works like email, and last but not least, Bitcoin is a human right. If you can absorb these five definitions of Bitcoin, I have confidence it won't take long to shed your pre-coiner status. And don't forget, you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. Bitcoin is money. Despite unprecedented levels of price volatility throughout its young life, Bitcoin has strongly demonstrated its ability to be used as money around the world. No, you won't necessarily be able to buy a house, car, or meal with Bitcoin everywhere you go yet, but you can buy the most useful good of all, U.S. dollars. Robust markets to exchange Bitcoin for dollars, euros, and Amazon gift cards are currently flourishing around the world. If you have a gold coin, you might not be able to buy dinner with it, but you're certain to find somebody who will exchange it for dollars. Bitcoin works identically. Several million people around the world already own Bitcoin in order to store wealth. They are the early adopters of Bitcoin as a new form of money. Bitcoin is a land grab. There are only 57 million square miles of land on Earth. Similarly, there will only be 21 million Bitcoin. Mark Twain once said, quote, Buy land. They're not making it anymore, end quote. And Bitcoin should be thought of in the same way. Bitcoin is scarce, just like the amount of land on Earth. As more people move from the world of British pounds, Japanese yen, and U.S. dollars to the Bitcoin world, Bitcoin land will only get more expensive and harder to find. People who don't own Bitcoin in the future will face the consequences of having to borrow Bitcoin in order to use it, much like people that don't own property renting from landlords. The land grab for Bitcoin will continue because people, companies, and governments will realize they cannot afford to be Bitcoin renters and not owners. Bitcoin's price has risen over the long term because people are treating Bitcoin like prime real estate. Bitcoin's price has risen over the long term because people are treating Bitcoin like prime real estate. There is no single gatekeeper in Bitcoin world, making every human being a potential property owner. Ownership will become more difficult and expensive as the Bitcoin world gets more crowded. Bitcoin is a game. But how does it all work? If Bitcoin isn't backed by any government, who controls it? These questions can be answered with the analogy of Bitcoin as a game. Every game has a set of rules all players must follow. Bitcoin's rules were created in 2009 and are continually enforced by thousands of players every 10 minutes on average, one of the rules. Bitcoin's rules for money creation and value transfer have proven extremely reliable over the years, which encourages more people to join the game. You can play the game by downloading software to your computer or phone. Nobody is asking you to learn all the rules to Bitcoin today but you must understand that there are rules, just like any sport or video game. Bitcoin works like email. Everybody uses email. You might not understand the computer science behind how it works, but the simple concept of sending and receiving email is universally understood. Email addresses can be shared with anybody, but only the password holder can access received messages. Bitcoin works in a similar way. You can share your public address with anybody sending you money, but only with your password, called a private key, can you spend it. Bitcoin receives criticism for being difficult to use, but in reality, people just aren't used to it yet. In the near future, understanding and usage of Bitcoin will be as ubiquitous as the understanding and usage of email. Send and receive. Bitcoin is a human right buying coffee with bitcoin in california isn't revolutionary but buying food with bitcoin in venezuela to survive is with a savings vehicle like bitcoin every person in the world can now store money safe from seizure and censorship by corrupt governments bitcoin is an alternative form of money one that people should have the right to choose for themselves Billions of people today have access to send and receive information via the open Internet. Tomorrow, billions of people will have access to send and receive value via the Bitcoin network. Access to both should be considered basic human rights. If communicating on the Internet is freedom of speech, Bitcoin is freedom of speech money. All right, let's hit our sponsor real quick, and then we will go over and dig a little bit deeper into these analogies and drive home the argument that Bitcoin is a human right. All right, so let's dig into these analogies a little bit. Um, Again, this was a a piece by Nick Bhatia. It was titled, Bitcoin is a Human Right. And I will link to this as well as the Twitter page so you can follow Nick Bhatia on Medium. This is one of his Medium posts um you can follow him on medium and twitter his tag on both is time value of btc uh and uh, uh don't forget to drop some major applause on this i will link straight to this article as well this really was just a great little introduction to a couple of concepts of what bitcoin is and what makes it valuable um the internet of value to speak and why? Why is this like? What is this tool exactly? And from coming from a perspective from somebody who's never seen or heard about Bitcoin, well, they've heard of it, but you know, it's just internet points to anybody who doesn't has hasn't gone down and asked what exactly is Bitcoin? Why does it exist? Why the hell hasn't it died in ten years? How how could something? So seemingly ephemeral, so so abstract, actually survived the test of time. But uh, anybody like for the people who listen to this show, like you know, I'm a sucker for good analogies. So uh, let's do some digging into these. Uh, first, Bitcoin is money. That's obviously its first use case. That's, that's how it's designed. That it's that's what it's designed to do, um, and the role it's supposed to play. But then you you immediately come into a question of so what the hell is money? And most people, like, there, is, there really is not a foundation there. Um, if it's not a government money, then it's not money at all. And nobody stops and asks why. Like, what is money as a tool? What does it do for society? And the truth is it's a networking technology. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a technology that solves the barter problem, the coincidence of wants problem. It's very, very similar in use within a society as language. Uh, language is always a great analogy for um, understanding what money is. So, if we're saying Bitcoin is money, well, we immediately have to ask, well, what the hell is money? It's a language. A language allows us, it's a standard that allows us to communicate and exchange information unambiguously or as unambiguously as possible in the sense that I can, exp- I have some vague like undefined idea in my head and I am making a bunch of noises and you're listening to it. It's going in your ears and hopefully creating the same vague, uh, loosely defined thing in your head uh, closely enough to what's in mine as to be useful, as to be able to apply it to the world, as to be able to look at the world and uh, apply the relationship that I was trying to explain to something that you're seeing, to look at Bitcoin, to... Read about it and take the ideas that I've shared or that someone else has shared with you and apply them in a meaningful way. Uh, and that's what language does. like imagine imagine trying to get information to you right now without language. Like like this is an audio format. The whole format of audio is completely pointless without language. Like what we are essentially doing is I'm you know making a bunch of grunts and <laughs> stuff that. Only because you have the same set of language rules, quote-unquote, the definitions of all of these words in your head, the symbols that they relate to for real things in the real world and real relationships, can you put these concepts back together in a meaningful sense. So language is a brilliant networking tool to communicate ideas. In that same way, money is a tool to exchange and communicate value unambiguously. And uh, by doing so, it's a good in the economy, which is universal, just like a language in an economy, in a subset of an economy. Because you know, there's always limits to networking and how well you can standardize across, you know, barriers and stuff, particularly barriers of time, because languages move, blah blah blah. Um, but uh, Bitcoin is a, um, it's an incredibly unique and like pointedly designed money in the sense that every money that has come about came about before simply because it had most of the properties of money and it fulfilled the role for a specific amount of time. We've never had a money that was really designed properly to be an independent money because kind of always with the design feature, quote unquote, came with its ability to be corrupted like like fiat money. Um, fiat money being, for any new listeners, uh, fiat money being government money, government, uh, money by decree. You will accept this as money because I say you will and you know, you'll be shot or put in jail if you don't. Uh, but the, the purpose of money is to secure trade without having to know or trust the people you are exchanging with. You can trust the value of the money rather than the value of the other person's promise or a good that you may not want right now. That's the whole, I mentioned something called the double coincidence of wants. If we all had to barter, imagine how ridiculously complex and and just impossible it would be for basic trade. Imagine if I'm a person who's really good at cooking and making food, like, say, sandwiches, and uh, you're a person who builds a house, and you're trying to sell a house to me. How the hell do we make that arrangement? Do I make a million sandwiches and give you a million sandwiches? They're going to be rotten in like, they're just utterly disgusting in like three days, right? Like, so I can't do that. Do we make some sort of an agreement where I'm just always going to be in that town and you're never going to move and then I'll just make you sandwiches for the rest of your life? Now we have this huge restriction and you have to trust me to keep that promise in a year. Maybe I'll just peace out of town and you'll never see me again. You gave me a uh, uh, the value of a house, um, or maybe you just really want shoes right now. How the hell? Like, I, all I do is make sandwiches, right? So what do I got to go find somebody to trade sandwiches for shoes? Uh, and you know maybe it's a hundred thousand pairs of shoes is the equivalent of the value of your house. So now I'm like, what? You don't need a hundred thousand pairs of shoes. You need one pair of shoes, maybe two. Like, so so what? would I got to get a thousand, ten thousand other things? that all together combined to the immense value of a house that you've built, like it's, it's just absurd. And because of that, you cannot scale trade. You cannot scale a market past simple, utter basic and non-scalable barter. Just straight like, okay, I know who you are, so we will, I will exchange like my time for your time. It is money, the universal good that allows us to cooperate with somebody in China, with somebody on the internet who we've never spoken or uh, conversed with. We have no idea how well they're going to keep their promises. We don't know anything about them. They could be shitty people. It doesn't matter as long as we can secure the exchange of value. Well, then, you know, I I don't have to, I mean, think of the immense efficiency that a market creates by, like, just look around your room or your place, your car, wherever you are right now. Look around and think about what you have, what you are in control of or in ownership of right now that you could actually make on your own without trading for it, without trading for the resources, the goods, the materials, nothing. Try to make a pencil. Try try to make a TV. You realize we only have these things. We only have this immense wealth because we can trade, we can easily and efficiently trade with someone else an independent good like money to get it. And that money doesn't die. That money doesn't lose value. Its characteristics are consistent. My sandwiches rot. My house falls apart and I have to maintain. My uh, my skills are variable over time. My... Uh, uh, my trust and reputation is variable and usually very fleeting if uh, like think of all of the things that have value and how inconsistent all the characteristics of those goods are. That's what money fills in. It's the one thing that doesn't degrade or rot over time. It's that one good that can be aggregated into huge amounts or into really small amounts. And it's worth roughly the same amount. Like 100,000 sandwiches is not worth 100,000 individual sandwiches. Like in combination. Who the hell ever wants 100,000 sandwiches all at once? It's essentially worth three sandwiches, however much you can eat. Or it's worth it to an entire huge group of people. Like so in aggregate, uh, like – the finding something that is just as valuable with 100,000 units as, as it is with each individual one of that 100,000 is almost, is almost an impossibility. It's kind of a f- fascinating thing that we have something like metals, like silver and gold, that one ounce of gold is the same as one other ounce of gold anywhere. And that 10 ounces of gold is worth 10 one ounces of gold like like that's like there's not really any other goods that have that characteristics it's a crazy unique thing in the economy that makes it a brilliant tool for this universal language of value um so all of these properties just make the, the secret what makes money good like uh, what makes money such a useful tool is it encourages honesty and cooperation between people who don't have trust and don't have a relationship with each other. And that's the only way you can scale society because there's no way that we can know and understand and have some, manage the emotional relationship with thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people. In fact, we have a rough idea that we can pretty much only do it with about 150. It's called Dunbar's number, um, which is why uh, for Millions of years, literally, like the idea of human or uh, ape Homo sapien Homo erectus like society quote unquote were just families. They were small communities. They were tribes because it could not scale past that until the invention of things like universal languages and universal money. So that's how Bitcoin is money. That was that was a that was a bit of a steep rant. Um, and if you've just been introduced to these ideas, it could be hard to follow. But Bitcoin is designed to have these characteristics. Bitcoin has these characteristics better than anything else. It's a digit it's a it's it's a digital unit, therefore, obviously every single one is equal to any other one uh it's so that's that term is called fungible and uh so the units are indistinguishable from each other of course it doesn't degrade or rot like a bitcoin at the beginning of uh the a blockchain or a bitcoin at the end of the blockchain like it doesn't matter where or when in time like it's the same unit like it it doesn't it's not like you lose money out of your account and the best Evidence, like the the proof that Bitcoin is money is the fact that tons of people use it as money. In fact, he says, Nick Bhatia says in the article that you won't necessarily be able to buy a house or car or a meal. People do that all the time. Um, he says, won't necessarily, but you can. There are houses for sale in Bitcoin. There, uh, Tesla accepts Bitcoin to buy cars. Um, uh, I've bought many meals with Bitcoin before. Um, and uh, there are also plenty of services where I can buy gift cards Or um, uh, just generic debit card, uh, like those, uh, um, like the one-time use debit cards or whatever, where you can just refill and spend. Like that, you can just use those and fill those up with Bitcoin. Uh, Gift cards, all kinds of stuff. I I use it pretty regularly, actually. I try not to because it's my—I consider it my savings. But I'm now most of my donations for this show. I mean, well, all of my donations. I take that back pretty much every single one of my donations come in in Bitcoin. So I use it like to keep this show alive, to make expenses. Sometimes I cash it out to dollars. Most of the time I have some other means to just spend it on the service or whatever it is I'm using. I use it as money all the time. And it works great as money. And it doesn't lose its value. In fact, very often I find I get some Bitcoin like I got donations from Uh, the Raleigh Bitcoin crew not too long ago, which was just amazing. They went around and collected money uh, from a bunch of different people and sent it to me. And it was worth like, I think $500 or something at the time. And I've just been holding on to it, like trying not to keep my expenses as low as possible. And a couple of months later here, uh, I guess like three or four months later, it's worth like $1,500. Like not only did it not lose value, not only did my money not rot, my money, uh, has held has grown in value substantially um, over that amount of time. But that immediately leads us into a question of why. Why does its value grow? And that goes to the analogy that Bitcoin is a land grab. Bitcoin is scarce. And that's an incredibly difficult thing to wrap your head around. It seems simple. Seems dirt simple. But Think about anything else that you can compare it to. Everything out there, even Mark Twain's quote: "Buy land because they're not making it anymore." That's actually not true. You can get more land. You can get hus- more uh, habitable area um, by you know adding stories to your house. You can build a skyscraper, and even as costly and as obnoxious as it sounds, you can you know you can uh, build a seasteading or a cruise ship. I live on a boat, and uh, you can uh, 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 build a moon base, for crying out loud. You can build space stations. Like There is more land. It's just incredibly difficult to obtain, so its quote-unquote inflation rate is really low. You know, building a skyscraper is not a cheap endeavor. But if we want more land, if we want more habitable living space, we can always make it. And that's pretty much true of every other thing that we know of in existence. We can even do it with gold. We can irradiate gold, I mean, excuse me, we can irradiate like mercury or lead, uh, knock off a couple of neutrons, and turn it into gold. Legit. It just takes so much more in resources and energy cost than it does to just buy the equivalent in gold or get the equivalent in gold some other way that we don't do it. Kind of the same with land, really, is that, you know, you don't see any skyscrapers in some, you know, hodunk like rural town, you see skyscrapers in giant cities because the land has gotten so valuable that it makes more sense to create new land upward than it does to buy land outward. But in Bitcoin, there is no alternative. There is no other way to create it. There is no, let's just build the number of Bitcoin vertically instead of horizontally. Bitcoin is the most scarce good that could literally ever be because it's perfectly scarce. It's set by by a set of rules. You cannot create any more of it. It doesn't matter how much energy we throw at it. it doesn't matter how many computers we throw at it. In fact, it adjusts based on how hard we are working to create it. And if we multiply 10 times the number of supercomputers that we are putting towards mining and creating new Bitcoin, it would not change the schedule at all. The, uh, The difficulty would just adjust and we would continue to get the same amount of Bitcoin at the same schedule as we always have. That's a fascinating concept and there is no other good that has that property. That no matter what we do, we cannot get more outside of the strict rules. And that makes Bitcoin the hardest money and... Explicitly 21 million units of a straight-up land grab. And when people start to understand the incredible potential of Bitcoin as a technology, and then at the same time begin to see exactly its nature of scarcity, how scarce, perfectly so, that it actually is, I think the idea of phrasing things, phrasing that idiom as a land grab will be retired and we will start calling things a Bitcoin grab from there on out because I think we will see FOMO like we have never seen before once people realize the potential of what an independent technology, like an independent standard like this can actually do Uh, because, because it's based on a set of rules that simply can't be cheated. If you aren't, it's just a matter of if you aren't following the rules, you're not playing the same game. You simply aren't on the network. It's like if you change the definition of a word in a language. Imagine if language was completely unambiguous, that definitions were absolutely objective and everybody understood um, every word exactly the same way. And then you tried to manipulate the meaning of violence or uh, the meaning of the word... Uh, capitalism or uh, you you tried to twist a good word, a, a positive word into a negative word or something like that, that instead of confusing people, you were simply not speaking the same language anymore and no one would, could understand you. That's how the Bitcoin rules work. And that leads us to the next analogy. Bitcoin is a game. This analogy, I think, is one of the most enlightening in an effort to visualize one of the most abstract ideas or aspects of the system, that no one controls it. That's really, really hard to wrap your head around, particularly when you don't have prior, um, you know, any, any prior basis for like a peer-to-peer or networking-type technology. Very, very similarly to how no one really controls a language, certain people might be able to influence or alter language in a very slow way but you know like e- even like Webster's dictionary couldn't come out and just like alter the definition of 50 words and everybody be like oh shit now we got to use these words this way like no like they wouldn't it would have no effect people would just it would probably just be a big like viral thing that Webster's dictionary is a bunch of idiots or they just don't know the definitions of the words like, no one would even question that they were misunderstanding the words. It would be that Webster's has screwed up. So, who owns it? Who, who is in control there if you can't change the definition without some sort of social agreement? Like, everyone has to know and move in the same direction essentially at the same time. Uh, and uh, the game analogy for Bitcoin. Is particularly because it's particularly good because we usually think, well, th- there is an exception there is because when you think of a game, you kind of think of uh, the rules as being sometimes difficult to enforce. As you think of like judges or like a referee that you know could make a bad call or they have to get together and review the video kind of thing, and that's one of the beauties of Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is a set of rules, a game. Very much like a sport or something, but there is zero subjectivity in the rules. It's it's an electronic game. It's a game of finance and accounting. So, as long as four plus four equals eight, those are the rules. The rules are who is the owner. The rules are what are the ru- like what are the restrictions on how you can use this thing and uh, who has signed it and does the accounting add up. There is no ambiguity in it. Um, In fact, everything can be perfectly verified by any single person in the world anywhere, and it doesn't matter on what machine or operating system they are on, it will always verify to the exact same outcome. It's as if literally everyone in the system, everyone who runs the software, is both a player and a referee, and they can verify for themselves They never have to worry that a judge has made a bad call or that a ref has made a bad call because they check it themselves. They review the video and there's never a question. There's never like, oh, maybe it was over the line or something, maybe four plus two equals seven. No, four plus two equals six. All the time, every time, it's based on math. It's the most easily verifiable thing ever. And it's so, it makes it because it's a set of rules it's as if it's like a financial court. Imagine, imagine, when, you, when we're talking about the fact that this thing is independent, that it's based on every participant verifying and actually uh, uh, running the rules themselves, and that there is no ambiguity in this thing. We're talking about a system. It's like a court. Imagine if you had a court case that no matter which judge you put it in front of, no matter which court, no matter which jurisdiction, no matter if, uh, no matter the political or social environment, that you could put this case before anyone in the world. Like your judge could be a, a 12-year-old kid, and the sentence, the outcome, the, the rightful owner, every aspect of the conclusion of that case was exactly the same. No bribery, no like social tensions, no uh, corrupt judge, no, no corrupt political atmosphere. None of these things, no president, no insurance agency, uh, no, no regulatory agency, none of them could contest the outcome of that case. Imagine how valuable a global system that could pull that off would be. Now imagine that that, that, that entire system holds the value of your money. That you never have to worry about an agreement. If as long as you hold the keys, as long as you hold the instruction, the, the very specific password, the private key that says you own Bitcoin, there is no judge court, president, anyone, ever, anywhere in the world that can contest the fact that you own it, their only hope is to get the keys. If they don't have the keys, Bitcoin does not care who they are. How valuable would just that aspect of it be? Now think that you can actually, like these, these rules, you, you, it's playing a game. Like, you have a set of restrictions, but within those sets of restrictions, you can do whatever you want. You can write elaborate contracts. You can write agreements that are time-delayed, that require something else to happen first, that require multiple people to get in together. Like, it's it's a programmable atmosphere. It's, it's a system that can be customized for escrow, for a housing contract, for uh, loans, like, like, uh, Collateral-backed loans, like the number of things that can be built with this. It is truly the Internet of money, the Internet of finance. And it's global, has no jurisdictions, and can't be cheated in any way because its rules are easily definable. You can run the whole thing on your personal computer. Every aspect, every validating rule, everything that keeps the whole network honest, You can run on your desktop computer. Think about how powerful that system is. And when we talk about owning Bitcoin in the system, when we talk about that private key that he mentions, we're talking about it's a simple send and receive system. It's not unfamiliar. It's just like email in that sense. I mean, yes, it might look and feel unfamiliar because the process is a little bit different, but... It is essentially the same. If you ever seen that Good Morning, Good Morning America, uh, clip from like the nineteen nineties or like ninety four or something like that, when they're like showing an email address up on the screen and uh, they've got like the the at symbol and they're like argue, they're like going back and forth over what that symbol means. It's like at or or uh, 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 and around about or something. I can't remember exactly what they say, but it's just hilarious to listen to them. Something that we're so unbelievably familiar with today, to realize that there was somebody who looked at that for the first time and was just like, I have no idea what I'm looking at, and they tried to make sense of it, it's, 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 it becomes clear that like, the system of Bitcoin is, is as simple as using email. It's sending and receiving based on your singular access to your email or your Bitcoin addresses. You send to a public address that belongs to somebody else, and then only the person with the password can send something back, can uh, send that to a new address. Except that in this case, we're holding value, we're holding money inside of these addresses as opposed to just information and messages. But it is wholly dependent on the holder of the private key. So, again, if you don't have the private key, it doesn't matter who you are in the whole world. You can't you can't fake the private key. That's the brilliance of the cryptography. Um, I urge you to listen to dergigi's 21 Lessons uh, Learned Down the Bitcoin Rabbit Hole. There's a great section. I've read it aloud, so you can listen to it on the show or go to uh, dergigi.com. Uh, that's another great one uh, to be uh, digging into. But there's a whole section on the security of the cryptography, and it's just really, really fun. So I encourage you to listen to that one. But if you don't hold the private key, there is no hope. Like, you, you can't you can't decree, decree it and make you know, go in and change. You would literally have to change the actual software on every single computer all around the world that runs Bitcoin simultaneously to get it to change the rules. And you still wouldn't be able to do it without everyone knowing. It would be clearly obvious. You would be like, if you had one copy of the old software, you'd still be able to run the old system and you would know. Well, it would be obvious, even, even, if you just, even if you just updated it, you would still just be able to look into the history and see that it was broken, that, it was, uh, uh, that somebody cheated the system, essentially, and altered all the rules. But obviously, that's just a, a hilarious claim that no one could do. Like, how, how, would you, how would you go and how would you even find all of the computers that are running Bitcoin? Tons of uh, nodes now are running over Tor, um, so they're completely anonymous on the network. Lightning nodes and Bitcoin nodes... Uh, I mean, it just, it's so infeasible as to just be silly. And that leads us to the last point. Bitcoin is a human right. And I love this, like, little quote right at the beginning. Um, Straightforward. Buying Bitcoin, excuse me, buying coffee with Bitcoin in California is not revolutionary. But buying food with Bitcoin in Venezuela to survive is. Bitcoin this is this is what Bitcoin truly is. It is an independent money that does not care about any individual jurisdiction. It can it is safe from seizure and censorship by even the most corrupt governments. As long as you can maintain your privacy. I mean obviously they can come to your house and beat you senseless and you know try to get your private keys, but again they have to get your private keys. And This is what it's about. It's about creating... So many people, I think, just either completely misunderstand or don't even think about what it means to own the printing press to money. It is a violation of human rights. If you own your body, if you own your time in this world, then for someone to be able to print your money is is, is they are making you a slave. Because the point of money is to secure the value that you've already produced. If you spend days on end, if you spend weeks building yourself like a small house, do you not own that house? If you built it with your property, your hands, your materials, do do you not own that house? Or you own the value of that house. You can sell that house, obviously. That was your time, that was your blood. You run out of time on this world. The only other thing that's as scarce as Bitcoin is time. We run out of it, and that's why it's critical that it's ours. Like I have the right to me, like I own my body. Do you, like what exact, which of your rights, which of your hours in the day do you think someone else should be able to force you to use for them? Like, like how many hours of your day do you, do, should I be able to command? Obviously none, right? You own your body, you own your time, you own your life. Those things are, are your value, is your time, your body, your skills, your life. Those are the only things you can use to produce value, which means that if you do not then own the value that you create, you never owned any of the things that it took to create them. You never owned your time. You never owned your body. You never owned your vision of the world. What you were trying to create in the world, the the betterment or the good that you were trying to create, if someone can take your value from you just by confiscating your money or controlling what you can do with that money, then they are the ones who control the vision of the world. They are the ones who decide where your value is directed, what things you build in the world. Maybe you want to build homeless shelters or you want to help somebody or... You want to make things better. But they confiscate that value and build prisons. They build guns to censor opinions that they don't like. That is your value. That is your time. That's your life that they used to fund that. Our money is our extension of our life. If the ownership of our money is controlled by someone else, then it means that our lives, our goals, and what we see to do in our life, what we seek to build in the world is being controlled. And I love the idea that communicating on the internet is freedom of speech. Transacting in Bitcoin is, is free speech money. It's freedom of life. It's freedom of value. It's for you to command who you are and be responsible for that wholly and completely. That you own your body, your time, that you make the world as you see fit. And as long as you aren't violating someone else's life or rules, like as long as you aren't trying to contest someone else's right to Bitcoin or the value that they have obtained, then you, you fully own yours. And, and it's, the, it's the essence of the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as long as we are not infringing upon the rights of others. And everything is derived from the fact that you own your body and your time, and it only makes sense that you own it. How could anybody else own it? You're the only one in control it, who can control it. I can't, I can't move your arm without doing something terrible to you, uh, or against your will, or getting your consent. Like you wake up and you have your arm already at the beginning of the day, it's yours. You have your time, it's yours. I can't take it from you. It is a great evil to consider. If anyone owns it, it has to be you. If somehow someone else owns that time, that life, that arm of yours, how did they get it? Think about it. It would be to suggest that you are so low that you don't own your own body or your own time, but that they are so high they do own their body and their time plus other people's. How absurd is that? And, based on what possible ob- objective reasoning should they be able to command your body? They should be able to tell you what your your habits are, your choices are, how you spend your time and your day, and what you seek to build in the world. as long as you're not getting in someone else's way, as you're not as long as you're not stopping the rights of another person, who could possibly say that they get to direct your life and choices for you? And that's why that's why Bitcoin is a human right because, if, if we have any rights, if we own our life whatever, then we own the value that we create with that life. We own the ideas and the skills that we have in this life. We own what we decide to do in this life, which means we own its value. We own Bitcoin. And to be against that right as a human is simply to be for slavery as long as you agree with it as long as you agree with the reason why. And I think we're better than that. We should be better than that. And for those people who aren't better than that, we will build systems like Bitcoin that make it not matter that they're bad people. We will build systems of cooperation that secure our value and our human rights regardless of how little they respect it. And they will not tell us that we can't. That is the philosophy And that is the essence of what Bitcoin is as a system. It is the human right to own your life and value written in code. And that should close out our day. Wow, that was a hell of a rant for a four-minute piece. Really great piece, though. Uh, Hopefully I didn't overwhelm anyone who just got here. (laughs) Um, But... This stuff is absolutely fascinating to me, and I thought this was a great, great piece here for the end of the week by Nick Batia. Again, do not forget to check him out. Uh, do not forget to drop some major applause on this article. And if you're interested in continuing to go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, if, uh, if you're new here, don't forget to subscribe. I am at The Crypto Economy. I'm Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else and uh you can find me on twitter um uh this is this is how this show works you know like we we explore all of the principles the philosophy the technology we dig into how this thing works like uh the ongoing development that's happening in this space and for my my listeners out there i know you guys I know you guys probably know that one other person who's interested in going a little bit down the rabbit hole. This might be a good one to start from. Uh, hopefully, my rant wasn't a little bit too intense for anybody. <laughs> um, I kind of get that way. I am passionate about this. You know, life is way too short to live without conviction. I read that recently, and I like that quote, so I'm using it. Um, and uh, so, yeah. And there is there are little there are few things in the world that I have as strong a conviction about as Bitcoin and. Uh, the future that we're building here um and i think it's just because i you know like i said it's a human right like i i'm i'm here for the human rights aspect of this i'm i'm here for the liberty that this gives back for the privacy that this is going to recreate in the digital realm finally um like something that i thought was gone in in the in the future like we thought we would just lose it um and it's just crazy to see what really is possible out there and like what we are getting to build and what we get to be a part of a huge shift in society is happening and it's happening here it's happening now and you know i get to spend every day digging into it and exploring it uh and i hope you guys find this valuable because i love it and i love you guys i I am so excited that you guys have joined me here that like you find you're as passionate about it as i am it's just it's been a absolute crazy amazing ride and i love it so thank you guys so much i am guy swan at the crypto economy don't forget to subscribe to the show on all your favorite podcasting platforms we're out there everywhere and uh yeah until next time stay free out there guys and i'll catch you on the next episode of the crypto economy podcast take it easy guys